Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I am your host, and I want to begin by saying thank you for listening. On this show, I am having conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some amazing and extraordinary results in both their life and business. My intention is to inspire and help you learn and grow by having my guests share their journey of how they face and overcome their challenges, but also how they celebrate their many wins. And now let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest, Susan White Livermore, knew she didn't want to work in the corporate world anymore. And when the opportunity of her first real estate investment property buy presented itself, she jumped in. Now, however haphazardly she entered the investment world, in just over a year, she had purchased 13 properties, had earned the Newcomer of the Year Award from Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine, and the top player title from the Real Estate Investment Network. And that was all back in 2011, 2012, and she's come a long way since then. Today, with properties in Ontario and Alberta, she continues to steadily build her unique investment business, focusing on legalized suites. And Susan, along the way, began teaching and coaching as curious investors sought her out to learn her strategies. Now known as Millionaire Mom, Susan continues to support real estate investors in growing their portfolio. The Millionaire Mom way is about showing people in a really honest and fun way what she haphazardly stumbled across, which was a simple idea that proved undeniably fruitful and dependable for her. Today, she is happy to offer other people the funny stories of the sometimes messy events that have naturally occurred in the process of building a portfolio one property at a time. That's what Millionaire Mom is all about. Let's get this show started. Okay, so let's go back to where you got to with real estate. Were you working at the time? Your brother had kind of led the way. Did you have a a job, a career? What was happening for you in that space? Yeah, when I first started, I was working for a natural health product company uh, as director, director of human resources. And I did that until 2009. So uh, I did the real estate and worked full-time until 2009. And then we moved to Barrie and I was starting to think, okay, and we were living in Melton at the time and I was, then we moved to Barrie and then I was starting to think, okay, well, what do I want to do? And I just saw the potential in the real estate investing market and recognized that we had a problem with our, our, uh, pension. So I was like, okay, well, at worst, I'm going to build this pension thing. And then I sort of fell in love with it and took off with it. So I was one of the lucky ones that could take, I, I didn't necessarily quit a job, didn't get my real estate investing to the point where I was going to quit my job. It, It was probably five years in where I could have quit my job, but I had the freedom to, cause I had, I was married and had uh, that support. So I was able to really take off and uh, go full tilt early on. So you were really, you know, you're tapping into the future of where Barry was going or what other areas beside Barry? I mean, you talked about Barry, but what other kind of regions were you uh, investing in at the time? Yeah. So I've done a ton in Barry cause I live here and yeah. To me, it just made sense. I did uh, a number of uh, legal suites. I built a bunch of legal suites out in Calgary, and everybody says, did you live there? No. 
I went out there, uh, 2012, 2011, 2012 in there, built some suites out there. And then it, that's primary. It's been really those two other than the rental, which could have, I, I was all the way from BC, right. All across the country of it in Quebec. Right. So when you consider that Barry, for example, I mean, we've always, Ray has been a big fan and continues to be a big fan of Barry and that kind of region. Although I'm finding that Barry's getting a little sticky because bureaucratically what drove Barry in the first place was their economic development and their openness to the economic development. And now they're starting to, you know, sometimes I think bureaucracy starts to get in the way. So if I'm seeing anything in Barry right now is a little bit of the bureaucracy starting to overwhelm that particular market. And that gets in the way of rental housing providers, which then yeah. kind of chokes off the opportunity. So I'm watching that one closely. You still love Barry. And, uh, yeah. but from an investment point of view, that's where I see some of the limitations that are starting to show up. In terms of building new ones. Yes. In new, and even in, even, even in their landlord tenant, uh, rules that they're engaging. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Out. Yeah. But that's across Ontario. It is like across Ontario. It is, but I don't know. It, it, and I don't want to go down into the minutia of Barry. But when we look at the, you know, your overarching plan in terms of how you were investing, you were looking at the economic fundamentals that drove a market. You were being and in the trenches of it, paying attention because you lived in Barry. You happened to live in a good region, and you took advantage of it. Yeah, and, and it, having three kids and not wanting to be too far away and wanting to be relatively close to my properties, it just made sense. So when we look at, you know, this conversation, because, you know, Rain has always been in the education and driving research business and supporting investors, you know, we often run across moms who go, God, I don't have time for this. You know, I don't know how to do this with three kids. You pulled it off. You had a significant other that was supportive in terms of what you were doing. But really, you know, if you're giving a mom an advice, and I know that you do some coaching and really it's a big part of what you pass on, but what is some of the advice that you would give to a mom today that says, I don't have time for this. I don't know how to do this. You know, the, these limiting kind of, or these limitations that are, are real, but they're ultimately self-imposed. How did you manage to bust through it? I found time because yeah, I... It doesn't matter what it is in life. If you really want to do it, you're going to find time to do it. And if you make, for me, my self-esteem is actually built about doing stuff outside the home. So it was important to me to have my children and make sure my children were well taken care of, but I also had to take care of myself as well. And building my real estate well business was a big part of that. So I would figure out how to make it work. So I did things like I would hire someone to clean my house, but I would make sure that I took that time that I saved in cleaning the house and I was out using that time to find deals, to connect with people. Like you can't make that time and then find other things to build because that can happen. You can watch quickly watch that you make the time and then it gets filled in with other things. But I was adamant if I'm going to spend the money I'm going to make sure that every penny comes back to me twofold, threefold, fivefold, whatever, in terms of either educating myself or getting out and finding deals. The other thing I did early on, and I called it cheating, but now I look back and I was like, man, I was smart. I bought my deals. I didn't have the time where other, other people had time. So like my rent to own deals, I would hit up 
uh, realtors. I would hit up mortgage brokers. I would hit up other investors. If they had found, because I was always um, tenant first, if they had found a great tenant, and I was willing to pay them three, five, whatever. At the time, it was about three, five, even up to $10,000 as long as I was getting my 30%. So I would find little cheats that I, you know, and honest truth be told, at the time, I felt like I was cheating because everybody was doing the work, but it got me what I wanted. So I was like, if I have to pay $5,000 for this and I get the end result and I'm still making 30% at the end, why wouldn't I do that, right? Because then I... I can tick my goals off and I, I, I took a shortcut, but it worked. It's such a great point that you're making here too, Susan, is that however you looked at it back then, you realize that really what you're doing is you're investing in yourself, but you're buying your time. So in other words, because I don't have the time to go find those deals, I'm willing to pay for them because really what I'm doing is I'm buying time and it's time that I don't have to spend. So you're literally investing in yourself. I love the fact that you looked at bringing in a housekeeper for four, six, eight hours, whatever it was that you brought in a housekeeper for. And then you look at it and go, this is a, you know, I could maybe, you know, if the kids are in school or maybe you hung out with the kids, that would be one investment of time. But you looked at it and went, no, let me go get a deal done. Let me go get another return on that investment. And again, you're actually what you call shortcuts is just a strategy. It's a way of investing in real estate that puts it to work. And I think probably in hindsight, you look at it and you realize that's what it was, but you happen to be built that way for whatever reason. And you had the realization that, no, you know something, this is not worth my time to go find a deal. Number one, I don't have it. And uh, why would I go through that when I can pay somebody else to do it? That's just hiring a service. Yeah. As a mom, there's guilt about not spending the amount of time sure. that other moms have. You got to let it go. You, you know, she, your kids are going to be fine. My kids turned out great. And you got to you got to recognize that you are as important and your happiness and contentness is as important. You become a better mom when you go do those things that feed what you need. You know, something I, I love that thought process, you know, in my own work and my work with my wife, Stephanie, is that especially with moms is that, you know, we say to them often, you're the center of your universe. And there's nobody more important than you to look after yourself and do what you need to look after yourself so that, in fact, you have the time, you have the energy, uh, you have the clarity to be the center of that universe, which is to support your kids, your family, whatever that might be for you. And they often, you know, moms have a tendency to, number one, feel guilty. Number two, think they're being selfish. And it's really, in fact, it's the most selfless thing you could do to look after yourself. And, uh, you know, so it's great that you share that story because it kind of validates, I think, hopefully it validates for any women listening to this that, no, it really is important for you to look after yourself so that you have the energy, the power, and the clarity to look after your family. So I love that thought process. Yeah, I um, you get over being selfish and you know that you become a better mom when you are fulfilled yourself. So tell me a little bit, you know, I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs and really that's what you came to be. Uh, you started out with a job as an HR person, very administrative kind of thing to do, career-minded. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But when you think about how you were brought up, when did your, when do you think that entrepreneurial kind of gene kicked in, if you will? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Were your parents self-employed? What what was it for you? How did that all unfold, Susan? 
No, my dad actually worked for Ontario Hydro. So he worked um, for the government, technically. Sure. Yeah. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. I had something in me. I, I had something to prove. There's, let's just call it spade to spade. I had something to prove. I do come from a family of entrepreneurs. Like I have uncles that have their own businesses. I often found myself very intrigued and interested in what they were doing. And then when I got out into the, the corporate world, I didn't fit in. <laughs> I hate, I, I'm not going to lie. So I, I worked for the Bay for a little bit and I was in HR there and I, I was part of like, I was like, I got bonus based on how the store is doing. So I cared how the store was doing. It was just, it wasn't just about HR. But when I saw something that just wasn't working, I, I didn't do the red tape thing. I would just change it and I didn't go over so well. Um, and then I started to realize, okay, the way I see things, I, it, it you know, it, I just needed something more nimble that I could test waters and, and see, see where the reaction is and then adjust and adjust. I, I, when I do something, my personality is very much, if you've done personality tests, there's this one personality test where they talk about the type of personality I, I'm fire, 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 aim. So I will do something and then tweak it all along the way. But I'm grateful that I'm that kind of person because, yeah, I might make some mistakes, but I get off the ground and I figure out figure it out. I, I want to do as opposed to uh, plan every little step out. It's just the way I'm built. So, And it's definitely the way I started real estate investing. But then I, I after about the three properties, I realized I needed to educate myself because I was hitting some problems. So then you go out and you learn, but you've got something. I had already had some experience. So by the time that education was coming into play, I was like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. And it wasn't starting from scratch. I actually, it had, I was engaged in the information because I, I, I was in it, living it and was able to make really quick action with the information I was learning with because I was already in it and, and engaged in it. And I actually think I'm just that personality that I want to try and do it and then add and learn as I go. Because if I learn up at, up front for me, if I'm not applying it right away, I typically tend to lose it. <laughs> well, no, but that's it. No, but I love the conversation, Susan, because I, I tell you, you know, as you and I both have come to learn over the years, and I know you're a coach in the real estate space and you're helping people uh, build portfolios and get out of their own way and the things that yeah. you're doing. But something that you said is a conversation that I've had many times with, you know, those, you know, somebody says, I want to learn to invest in real estate. I want to create a financial future. I want to do investing in real estate. But one of the first things they bump up against is uh, a fear. And generally that fear is of failure. So what you just said in terms of your own character or personality, whatever you want to call that is you're not really built to live into fear too much. It's like you have a lot of confidence that you'll figure it out. So in other words, fire, game, go, whatever order of things that you do. My chief growth officer and good friend, J.G. Francoeur, you know, he's one of those guys that as much as he plans, he's also the guy that jumps out of a plane without a parachute with 100% confident 
that he could build the parachute on the way down. So in other words, that's the metaphor for saying that I'm just going to start moving forward. That's the outcome I want. I don't have all the answers to how I'm going to get there. I just know that if I start, I'll figure it out. You're not going to know all the answers. And I and I think, I, I do want to share one thing. My aha moment was about what I was doing and how that, you know, it's not necessarily the worst way to do, like to get into real estate is to just jump in and get going. I mean, you really do need to, like, you, there are a few fundamentals you need to know. And I seriously, by and Barry, I got really lucky. But I, if you can get by in an area that is growing uh, and buy a reasonable house, you can you can jump in and the market will help you sooner or later. Um, but I, I was at a rain meeting. This was my aha moment um, the, of what I was doing. And uh, I was at, at a rain meeting and I was at my very first one. And I was excited to be there. I, I had three properties under my belt. I'm sitting at a table with seven or eight, seven people. And I'm like, I'm, I'm dying to know everybody and learn, learn from other people. And they had all been there for a bit and been with rain for a bit. And they had maybe one or two. I was the rock star at the table. I was like, how is this possible? And they're like, well, I just, I feel like I need to learn more. And I was going around the table and they all said the same thing. And I'm like, what is happening here? And to me, I was like, okay, this learn as I go and grab the information from the experts as I go is not the worst thing in the world. And to just jump in sometimes isn't, I don't know, for me, I'm glad that I'm this way. Don't get me wrong. I put myself in very stressful situations, but I figure it out. And this cottage to me is one of those stressful situations. There's been multiple times when I'm like, Maybe I should just sell it. <laughs> Maybe I should just take a bit and sell it. But I always come around to like, okay, no, I will figure it out. That's that's what I've been able to do all along. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully I'll pick it this one up. But but it's interesting. Like it's about getting over yourself. And yeah, I went on another tangent. <laughs> well, but it's not really a tangent, Susan, in the concept. You know, I've often, you know, stated over the years that especially these days, there's, you know, YouTube and so many talking heads and real estate experts and all of the things that go on. And, you know, I've said recently a lot, which is, you know, you can learn how to swim on YouTube. Just go there and say, I want to learn how to swim. And the next thing you know, you're going to learn how to swim on YouTube. But yeah. the reality of it is, is you don't learn how to swim till you jump in the water and you jump in the deep end and you then have to decide, am I going in alone? Is there going to be somebody there to catch me in case I fail? But ultimately, no, I believe I can swim, I can paddle water, I can tread water, I can make it work. But you don't learn how to swim until you're actually in the conditions, whether it be a lake or a river or an ocean, because they're all different conditions. And then you have to, then you're, then that's when you're figuring it out. That's when you're training. And you, there's no other way to train for ocean swimming or river swimming than to jump in. And, you know, it's the same thing with real estate, I think, is that at some point, you can theoretically learn all that you learn, and then, guess what? Until you do a renovation or rebuild, in your case, on a cottage, and I know you've done this work before, you don't know what that contractor is going to do. You don't know what that bureaucrat with the permit or zoning is going to change. You don't understand what can happen until you're in it, and there is no consistent pattern to any of it. You have to have confidence in your ability to deal with it. 
Have I kind of recapped what you're saying of what you do? Yeah, 100%. And I think the one thing I would say I've added or learned is that you can make your ride a heck of a lot easier by who you bring into your network. So I spend all my time meeting different people and connecting with different people and keeping in contact with these experienced people because I know I'm going to come into problems. And usually it's a phone call or two or three and I've got a resolution or an idea that's going to lead me to something else or a contact. So that has been like the getting people on your team, um, connecting with people makes the jumping off so much better. Well, I think that you're, you know, you're shining a light on what we probably see as obvious that maybe some people don't see as obvious is that having and creating and building that team is an important part of the development of any strategy. So, you know, you know, if I was to assess, I'd say, oh, geez, you know, based on what Susan has been telling me so far in this conversation, she's very much an introvert, but I also know that that may not be the case. You know, some people would look at, or an extrovert, sorry. Now, many people look at me and say, you must be an extrovert, and I'm so not extroverted. And yet, here you are as not an extrovert, a little bit introverted, yet you're creating relationships, you're doing all the things. So how is that for you? Like, are you consciously stretching yourself going and having self-talk? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to meet another person, but I have to. How is that conversation? How's that internal dialogue for you, Susan? I make it fun. Um, I, you know, when people ask me what I do for a living, probably I spend most of my time going for lunch, going to events, going to dinners, whatever. And I'm, I set myself one goal of meeting one person that I'm engaged with and I learn from and have fun with. And so that was my, where I started. It was just all business. And now I've learned to, oh, you know, I can add golf to that and I can learn a heck of a lot from someone on a golf course and I can go on a boat with somebody and learn a heck of a lot with somebody on a boat. And so now I'm taking that experience, bonding with people and learning from them at the same time. So I, I try and make it fun. And yeah. I, I, I don't love the big groups. I, I do them. Those are the ones where I probably get the most nervous. But the smaller groups or one-on-ones, those I, I thrive in those and that's and so I have no problem calling up somebody I've never met, but um want to learn something about and contacting them and saying, hey, can we go for lunch or whatever? Yeah, not everyone's gonna say yes, but sooner or later someone says yes and I learn something and or eventually down the road I'll connect with somebody who knows that person and I'll meet them a different way. So I sort of set goals on who I want to meet and what I want to learn from them. Well, it's interesting too, is that when you meet somebody in that more casual setting, whether it be on golf or, you know, you've gone a boat or in, you know, playing around a golf or even for lunch, you also start to get an understanding of them that is a little bit deeper than what they do. You start to see who they are, which is an important part of, you know, choosing your team. Now, when you look over the years of the relationships that you've developed, are some of them or many of them long-term, do they continue to be a part of your everyday or every week kind of life and you're supporting each other along the way? I am shocked on how much my friendships have changed since I joined real estate investing. I would say some of my best friends have become other real estate people. Uh, uh, 
I've got a few that, you know, I meet for lunch um, or some other activity every single month. So, yeah, I would say that it has changed and I would, I've, and it, 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 as you get more into real estate investing, you, you've got the commonality of real estate and you, you I found that uh, I like to talk about real estate a lot. So I like to hang out with people that want to talk real estate. And when you get me started, I don't tend to shut up about it. So yeah, I find myself wanting to be around people that think the same way. Not that I don't enjoy my high school friends or it's just, yeah, I'm definitely spending more time with real estate investing people because that's where my passion is. Well, you know, that's the old phrase of like attracts like. So when you, you know, get into that kind of, I guess, jag, if you will, really, that's what it's about. That is really the focus and that's who you're going to have conversations with. So, you know, as a coach that's supporting others, you know, you said early on in the conversation that, you know, you don't spend as much time on the how-tos, although you probably spend more time on it than you can think about. But Having said that, you're really understanding that it is the mindset of people that gets in the way. Can you expand on that a little bit? What's some of your experience with your clients? So what do you see as a commonality in terms of real estate investors, whether it be full-time, part-time, whatever yeah. it might be? I, I think the number one thing I see people do is they don't want to bring in investors and they're afraid of investors. They're they just want to try and do it all themselves. And I'm like, well, I don't care how much money you have. Sooner or later, you're going to get shut down. Sure. And I, one of the things I, I want people to get really comfortable with being an investor or um, bringing on investors and look at it differently. They, they look at investors that they owe the investor something. And I'm, I want them to switch their mindset to say, hey, wait, wait a second here. You're getting them into a deal they wouldn't have got into on their own. It's probably a lot steadier than what they're getting in the stock market. And you can insure it. You can um, do something. You've got multiple exit strategies. You're giving them something. And if you invest well, like I, I look for about a 30%, so you're giving them paper potentially a 15% annually, where are they getting that elsewhere? And where else are they going to get their money that it's solid, that they've, they're confident in? Because how many people have bought their own home and it has appreciated and appreciated and appreciated. So I really work on, on getting them to understand that they're bringing a lot of value to the table and that the, when they see that other person as more valuable themselves, it shows up in the way they speak to that person. And so I spend a lot of time getting them to focus on um, making yourself equal to that uh, other investor and uh, working, bringing in, borrowing money or bringing on investors, even if they have the money to do it themselves. Because you know, that's the skill they need to learn so that they can scale and build to to like if you want to get out and build a build a portfolio, you're gonna need you're gonna need to take on pieces of the pie, in my opinion. So we really work around on the mindset of you're bringing value to that other person and making sure that they understand that even if they haven't done it, they've done it yet. They're they're their education and the support that they've got behind them is of great value to that investor. 
You know, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? And you've experienced this now over many years. I mean, Rain's been around 30 years. I've been part of the Rain community since 2000. You know, I've worked with now literally on stage, you know, thousands of real estate investors, one-on-one, one-on-many. I've built my own portfolio. I've done a lot of work. And it's always quite surprising is that raising capital becomes a block for so many, yet for others, I'll use you as an example, it's like a no-brainer. Of course, I bring so much value that this makes sense. You know, there's so much capital flooding the market today as we do this, that many people who have capital but do not even know, they don't know what to do with it. And as we speak of this, you know, the stock market's melted down anywhere from 20 to 45%, depending on what game you're playing in the stock market. Yet real estate, as much as it's pulled back given increasing interest rates, which I want to talk about with you. You know, when we really look at it, understanding that people are looking for expertise, they're actually looking for somebody that can put their capital to work and return on investment, including return of investment would be really cool. And so you, you do an interesting, you know, you, you've recognized that you're supporting your people in doing that. And I've always asked myself the question, what is the difference? Having worked with now with thousands of investors over the past 20 plus years, What's the difference between somebody who hears the information and takes it like you, learns and runs with it versus somebody who keeps hearing the information and doesn't? And that if that is the fork in the road, isn't a mindset and understanding what drives it. So what have you learned in terms of, or what do you think it is that gets in people's way? Like we really wanted to just shine a light on with this podcast for those who are sitting on the fence going, should I raise capital or interest rates are going up? Real estate market's going to crash, whatever it is. What is it for you? What What do you think that might be? If you crack the, the, the block, yeah, people, why people don't want to raise capital? Sure, let's go there. I think it comes to fear of losing or losing the money. Mm-hmm. I think it's not enough confidence in themselves. I think that they they think they don't know enough. There might be a situation of high maintenance investors that they're afraid of. Choosing the right, they're all valid. Choosing but, the right partner, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what I say is nothing is written in stone. I let investors go. I've said, you know, this isn't really working. Do you want me to switch out a different investor, or you sell up the portfolio and move your money to another option? It's just once you do it and you start to build some wealth, then you have options. But if you don't do it, you don't have options, right? Like having an investor. Oh, well, you've got a bad one. If you've held on to it long enough, you've had some mortgage pay down, if you've done it well, you, you've had uh, some cash flow happening. And if you bought in a market that's growing, you got some appreciation. You don't have a good investor. Oh, well, move out and find somebody else. But I, I think they get stuck that if I do this, it's going to be written in stone and nothing is written in stone. Everything is temporary. And when you look at, and I keep going back to when I do coaching, I was like, you know, 90, there's stats out there. I, I'm not going to report them correctly, but most people that are millionaires made their money in real estate. And those that didn't often are putting their money in real estate to preserve it. So there's got to be something about this real estate investing thing that creates stability. And why wouldn't you want to help? Why don't you see other people like the value that you're helping other people create generational wealth. Um, when, when you just flip it 
on I, I'm doing a tangent here. <laughs> but if you just flip it and help people understand that you're serving other people by bringing them into your team and that you're, I think that helps people get over their blocks of what if I lose money? I, I've lost money for investors. I'm not going to lie, but I've, they, Things. Well, that's interesting, but let's just let's just stop there for a second. You know, I think this is an important conversation to have. There's nobody that says you're going to hit it out of the park every time and that you're going to win every game that you play. Having said that, you're going to have ultimately the intention is to always have more wins than losses and then to make up for any losses by putting in corrections along the way. Is that a fair? Yeah, 100%. I, every time I lose, I feel like I gain more confidence because I learn. If you take a loss and don't learn anything from it, then that's where the fear sets in. But if you can take a loss and dissect it inside and out, the confidence you actually build from that is incredible because now you know what not to do with clarity that you you was only theoretical before. And now you've got that clarity of like, okay, I can't do that again. Here's what I'm going to do. Here are my new rules going forward. Here's how I'm going to make you even more secure than you were before. You know, it's interesting that it doesn't matter how it gets said. It's, I always, I go back to understanding that in a gym setting, and it's still an accurate analogy is that you get stronger by lifting more weight slowly. You know, ultimately you gain by adding weight to the bar and, or doing more repetitions or, you know, whatever that might be. And in real estate's the same way. And although you may have that loss, there's still growth in that. And there's still the opportunity to step back up to the bar and, and then keep exercising that muscle and actually overcome and become very good at that because of that, what perceived failure might be. When you look at all that you've done in your real estate, we start to understand that there's cycles, you know, the real estate market is up, it's down. As we talk about, you know, this coming, we've come out of two and a half years of COVID and the shit show that that's created. And when you look at what's happening today, at, you know, at the point of this recording, you know, interest rates are on the rise. We are looking at future increases. The headlines are all blaring about, you know, the sky is falling and real estate's crashing. How are you, number one, as an investor, and then secondly, Susan, as a coach, and even thirdly, as somebody who has other people's capital at work, how are you kind of managing the perceived chaos of the world and the uncertainty of the world? How are you handling it today? I have a struggle with all the negativity in the, in in everything. And I I frankly won't listen to it. I I recognize that the interest rates are rising, but I just start thinking, talking about all the opportunities that are just around the corner because of this. And this is a great time to start looking at, okay, well, where can we get some extra capital so that when those opportunities come around, this is a great time to get your investors thinking about those. Like, I don't know that right now, because I think we're, we're just kind of, uh, everyone's just seeing what's going on. But I think within the next six, eight months, we are going to see some great opportunities to get back into the market with great cash flow because we've got, re well, in Ontario, rents are going sky high. So if you're, you have a sky high rents and those property values are, are coming down and you can buy ready-made or build 
legal suites, you're going to be better off than we were five years ago, right? Because now we, like, to me, I just, with everything, everything is on a spectrum. So there's always, everything is good and bad. And my job is to focus on, okay, that's bad, but where's the opportunity in that? And that's where I get all my investors and my students focusing on so that they can prepare themselves for that opportunity because they're around the corner. Um, there are gonna, There are people right or wrong that are getting caught up in the fear and they're going to let their houses go for, I don't know, 40 or 60, maybe 60. There's going to be significant discounts. Let's just put it that way. This is because the media is feeding that fear and people just want to get out and stay safe. And I, I'm like, okay, I'll take your house and I'm happy to help you get to a safer place. And I'm going to build from that and be either build another legal suite or it, it, that's where the best opportunities are. I would say over the last two years, it's been for me kind of slow because I had, I've struggled to get into the market, but now I'm like, okay, we're about to have some fun again. So this is a good thing in my opinion. Well, I agree. And I think there's a fundamental that, you know, we've seen in the market that's been happening over the past couple of years. You know, when COVID first hit, you know, we were within the rain team, we were saying, well, everybody was freaking out. It took us a couple of months to everybody get their, you know, the grounded in what was really going on, what was happening. And we said then there's going to be more opportunities present themselves than you've ever seen. And of course, we saw what would happen over the past couple of years. But then, of course, it was like we've detached from the economic fundamentals. This is all really a world where you know, all boats were rising on this, you know, high tide that was a national global high tide. And in these markets, everybody's a real estate genius. And, and so what's interesting about all of a sudden the economic fundamentals, and we were telling the rain community all the time, you know, make sure you're buying for cash flow, don't chase deals, buy for cash flow, and also understand that the opportunities that present themselves are really going to, you know, when everybody's being a genius, what's going to start to show up is all of those people that learned how to swim on YouTube, those speculators are now in the water and do they really know how to swim? Well, actually they don't. And so to your point, what starts to happen is people panic because now they're in the deep end. They only learned how to swim because everybody was a genius when all boats rise on a high tide called real estate going up only and those deals are going to start to fall apart. And we know that. And that's not to wish bad luck on anybody, but the reality of it is, is the reality of it, which is people, everybody thought real estate was going to go up forever. There were speculators as opposed to the sophisticated investors. I mean, even listen to what you just said. You looked at what's happening in the market. You know, it's been pretty quiet, actually, for me the past couple of years because you were seeing what was happening and you're going, there's a disconnect from reality happening here. And I'm not willing to swim in this lake. And you know how to swim. Yeah. And that was what, that's what actually you said. Nah, I don't think I'll go. I may, I may, you know, dip my toe, but I'm not going into this, this water. Whereas all the speculators in the world were going, Hey, this is a fun place to be. So now you sit back and you go, there's going to be some problems to solve. And I'm going to be there to help people solve their problems. That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> These people, I, I, yeah, uh, the wholesaling bit or buying privately, you know, being able to take that stress off somebody's hands, 
it's total win-win. So I'm excited to get back into that world. But it is interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the, you know, not so seasoned investors or people who are looking in going, oh, you're just in there to take advantage of people. And, you know, and, and that's the furthest from the truth. Exactly. Is if you go in to help people, it's actually a win-win situation. They're, they just want to get from underneath of the pressure. And it's not about taking advantage of anybody. If you're going in there with a real problem solve, win-win scenario, guess what? They come out of it going, thank you very much. It isn't about taking advantage of anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I've had multiple people cry because uh, they're like, the stress has been so heavy. And for me to, and I'm buying them for a good deal, but they are beyond happy. And um, that's what the outside world doesn't seem to understand. Yeah, they think we're, we're taking advantage, but we're creating situations that are helpful for ourselves and our investors. But I never, I, I'm always leaving people in a better situation than they are. So when you look at what's going on in the marketplace today, Susan, and, and I'm talking a little bit more, more about real estate than I would normally on this podcast, only because of your background with it and the fact that you've been doing some coaching and you're supporting other real estate investors along the way. You know, when you look at what's happening in the market today and you're looking into the future, you're seeing those opportunities. When are you actually in a mindset right now where you're looking and going, you know something, there could be a recession sneaking up later on this year, 2023. Do you have that thought process? Are you mitigating risk within your own portfolio? How are you looking at what's going on economically? What are you doing in terms, if anything, of risk mitigation and or planning for the potential of a, a significant downturn? Or are you? I mean, you may not be, and, and that, I'm just curious. To be honest, I think it's sort of business as usual. I would say, yes, I'm probably making my coffers a little bit heavier mm -hmm. uh, just in case we have a situation where tenants aren't paying because they can't afford to pay. Yep. Um, I keep, a, I make sure that I have a certain amount of money over and above that uh, on hand just in case. It's my sleep at night fund. Yep. I had an opportunity to refinance more properties. I chose not to. So I, I refinanced about half of them during the craziness and then the other half. So I'm sort of balanced. I got some money ready to play, but then I'm, I've got the rest of my portfolio there to support me in the event that um, things do go sour. The one area that I feel like I'm a little bit vulnerable with is this new Airbnb. Will people continue to rent cottages and that sort of stuff if we go into recession. And so my attitude is like, okay, well, then I just got to be better than my neighbor uh, in terms of marketing and making this thing the best thing. If I'm going to proceed with it, which I think I will, I, I've just got to be the best at what I do. And I got to figure out how to be the best because there's always going to be somebody that's still wanting a vacation property. Uh, but there, there's, I think there are things that I'll be able to do that I can make into a business in terms of marketing and everything that goes with it, that the average people that got into that business, it was too easy for them, right? So, and that I think when that drives up, I may be a little ahead of the game because my mentality is always, since I started thinking about this, is how am I going to market this thing to be different than everybody else? And I'm really going to be focusing on couples in particular and making it year round. So you've said a lot in all that, by the way, and, you know, I want to shine a light on it because, you know, what you said is something that I'm a big proponent of. And what I'm telling people to this, like really today 
is that, you know, whether there will be a recession is arguable. Right now, Canada economically looks quite strong, but given the macro global picture, I mean, everything's vulnerable these days. But at the end of the day, I'm saying, you know, something, this is not the time to over leverage. This is making sure that you actually have availability or available liquidity somewhere along the lines of whether, even if it's in a line of credit, access to capital, should there be a pullback or downturn is really important. And to make sure your tenants are in good standing, that you're choosing good tenants, you may want to actually extend your lease, get into your leases early, so or renew early, something that is really just being, but I think that's just a responsible way to do business anyways. But ultimately, in all of that, when we look at what's happening economically, this is really, especially coming out of the craziness that we've had, a lot of people we're taking on more debt than they perhaps should have. They over leveraged. They refinanced because rates are low. Did you lock in? Are you on a, you know, are you in a variable and you're now payments have, have doubled? What's going on for you? But there's something else that you just said, which is really interesting, which is your thought process around Airbnb and the reality of where will that go? Well, we don't know. But what you said, which is something that people step over is you're clear or you're getting clearer on your demographic. You're understanding that you're not just throwing a dart up against the wall called Airbnb. You're looking at it going, who is my end user? And I want couples, maybe higher income, whatever that might unfold for you. But you're very focused on what you're doing. And so as much as you just kind of rattle through it as if it's normal thought process, it's not normal thought process. It's a thought process of somebody who's experienced and is far more sophisticated in their investing than somebody who's just well, I'm going to get Airbnb. I don't know what's going to be. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, you know, it's like you have a much clearer path even than you probably recognize sometimes because it's just what you do. <laughs> but I wanted to point that out for the listeners is that there's a lot in what Susan just said. So that's why I share that particular highlight of that conversation. That's a very sophisticated move. Thank you. And yeah. thought process. So when you look at, you know, the one thing that I look at in an economy, you know, we often say, well, I remember you know, back in, let's talk about 08, 09, and the vacancy rate was, you know, in Alberta, you know, let's say it went to 7%. Well, gosh, vacancy 7% or it's 10%. Oh, okay. Well, that means that there's 90% that are looking for property. So it's a different way to actually view the world and understand that, let me talk to the 90% that are renting and aren't moving away. And and do you have a tendency to kind of go that direction with it as well? Is that a thought process that you have? How do you view that? Because you've been through a couple of downturns now. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on the, yeah, you want to keep your good tenants in. Uh, you really want to focus in a downturn. That's when you're going to see who's the best property managers, who's maintaining the best properties. Yeah. Your rents may go down, but chances of you not having anyone completely is slim to none if you are doing the fundamentals of, of keeping your tenants happy. Um, and that's the same thing that I'm looking at in terms of the Airbnb. If I just do a better job than the average person, I, I expect I will do fine. So there's a, you know, when markets are good, everybody's, you know, trying to find deals. And I use this as an example, and I think it applies for Airbnb, by the way, which is this, you know, when markets are good, you know, vacancy rates are 2%, 3%, what, no percent, like everybody, it's all hot and all, and it's all cool. It's great. But the minute there's a downturn, so of course, 
you see this property, it's across the alley from a shell service station, but man, oh man, is it ever priced right? And guess what? You know, because vacancy rates are so low, it rents out in spite of the garbage collector that comes at five in the morning and the backup beeper and all the rest of it. And yet you still get it rented out. Now, here's the question of, that I always say to people is they go, that's great. But if the vacancy rate goes to 6% and there's five other properties in the neighborhood that aren't across from that service station and don't have a garbage can pick up at five in the morning, is it going to compete with those other properties? So what is the property that's going to get chose? And so this goes back to what you said, which is understanding that, you know, even with an Airbnb world, I have to be smarter than the potential uh, competition, if you will, or the other options that are out there. I want to be the first choice. Even when the market turns down, I want people to go, I love the location of that property. I love the the ambience of that property. I love the way it's furnished. I love where it's located. Whatever the story is, because you're thinking in advance of what happens if there is a downturn, am I still going to be top of mind? Exactly. So these are decisions and these are thought processes that we have as investors and you know, treating your real estate investing like a business, Susan. So when you look into the future, so you've been investing, you've been doing all these deals, you're creating relationships, you've got this. So when you look into your future, because you're still a young lady and you've got a whole big, long life ahead of you. When you look at, are you a goal setter? Do you have a vision for your life? Do you look five years down the road and say, this is what I want life to look like and feel like and be about? How is it with you? Uh, yeah, I, I've set property goals. Early on, I used to set property goals because it was all about collecting properties. I had this, this thing. Now it's more about monthly income that I want to be achieving, uh, a, net, a full net worth. That's more of an ego thing uh, by a certain date. And then it's lifestyle. And I would say over the last two years, I've added lifestyle into to everything. So the cottage for me was a bit about lifestyle. Okay, I really want this not only for the Airbnb, I think I can make it really successful, but I want something that I can enjoy as well. So it was a little bit of an emotional buy. I'm not going to lie. Sure. Um, the first time I, I maybe didn't have the best hat on, but I'm going to make it work one way or another. And and now I'm starting to look at how, yeah, definitely how can I make my lifestyle better? And, and I have a pretty good right now. <laughs> I have a lot of freedom right now. Uh, I really only work about 20 hours, 20, 25 hours a week unless I'm really engaged in something. So I continuing setting goals, it's usually dollar value per month and then setting a goal as to like milestones on net worth and then adding lifestyle into it, being able to travel a little bit more, buy the fancy car from time. I, yes, some of them are, are getting into that, that world. Yeah. So when you look at your years in the world of real estate and business, I'll call it, and how much do you think that you depend on, you know, your intuition, your gut instinct? Are you built that way or are you able to tap into that intuition? You know, the spidey senses are tingly or are you really in nuts and bolts? It's got to, the math's got to make sense. I start with intuition hundred percent getting into real estate investing from the beginning was intuition. Uh, it, um, I, I just believe in that. And I think when you, 
it is following your passion and that passion kind of brings your in I don't know I think you you guide yourself to where you need to be and in fact I would say that this cottage even though it doesn't seem perfect was based on I searched for uh, 10 months and then I jumped on Kijiji and a property had been on the market for five hours and I, it, it ticked off every single box I wanted. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like I, I knew it was mine when, uh, when I saw it and then I was like, I had to have it. So, um, yeah, hundred percent use intuition. Um, and I, practice making it stronger. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of that sort of, I know we're going off on a little bit of tangent, but I do spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I make, it helps me with clarity. It helps me with seeing things I may not have noticed if I wasn't so tuned in, whether an opportunity or something to avoid. So when, so I love the, the conversation, you know, when you look at tapping into intuition and you talk about meditation, part of your practice is meditation. Do you, because people, you know, have this thing around meditation, I can't shut my brain off and they have all sorts of stories why not to meditate. Uh, you know, I've meditated for 30 years. I was trained in transcendental. That's where I started was TM. And although, and I continue to go back to it, although I've gone off on all sorts of different yeah. journeys of that, both Stephanie and I, tap into our meditation, we go in and out. But I want to know for you, Susan, when you look at your own personal professional development, you know, you talk about meditation, what uh, other kind of personal practices, because what I hear in the conversation with you is around your intuition, but are you connected to a conversation around values? Do you understand what you're, are you clear on what your values are and what you stand for in that regard? Is that something that yeah. Yeah. intentionally got into? Um, I had a coach. I hired a coach for myself and he helped me understand where my values were. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, things like I, I want to be able to learn something from every deal I do, every deal I do, uh, business oriented. These were my values. Everything yeah. has to be a win, win, win. Um, we were a take action and learn as you go kind of, uh, I, I didn't like the red tape, so it was important to me to learn as I go, bringing value to my investors, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that helps me guide my intuition. Absolutely, sure. if that's where you're headed. Uh, I don't know. I what other things I do a lot of like I don't start my day until sometimes about ten, eleven o'clock at the morning. I do. I walk and I just get grounded. I spend that all that time, but then I find when I do start my day, because I'm so grounded, things click. I like, I'm not spinning my wheels or grind. If I'm grinding it out, I'm like, nope, not today. And I will, but there, then there are days when I so connected, like opportunities come to me and like, there are times when I've like done almost no work and, and I'm drawing opportunities to me that just make so much sense. And it, it was a connection I made maybe six months ago. And then finally this person calls me and says, Hey, I've got this property. It's, I find it when I'm connected and do the work to do the meditation, these opportunities arise, the opportunities for what they are. Yeah, I understand. So I love that, you know, really 
getting connected, you make such, you know, the point of it is, is that I'm a big believer in understanding what our values are, what our, what our core values are, what our driving values, and, and really then you're living a values-based life, which is what you're doing. And whether you've done that intentionally, and I'm sure that you've learned a lot along the way, and it's evolved and changed, but when you consider kind of the vision you have, and you then connect to your values, and you do the work, in your case, you do some meditation, do you are you a journal? You journal. Are you a writer? Are you know? Do you all of the above? Yeah. Are you, are you physical on a regular basis? Do you every day? You work out every day. You have now. Is this something that you are you a morning driven person? Are you an evening driven person? How does it unfold for you? Yeah, I I start my morning with um, just quiet thinking, followed by meditation and journaling. Then I'm out for at least an hour walk. And it has to be outside. I don't care if it's rain, snow, sleet. That's just an excuse. And I find that um, it helps with the discipline to be out in no matter what the weather is. Uh, and then I come in and it's time to start my day. I think it's, you know, what I love about this is that, you know, you're doing the work and what's showing up for you is the results that, really prove to you that the work you're doing does make sense and that it isn't all the how-tos and the strategies no. and that's a part of it, but ultimately those opportunities get created because of the work you do and the space you kind of create or the space that you hold for it, right? And it shows up. Yeah, I I live in the the belief that everything comes out of the nothing. Like, you don't know. It's like people are, when people... With with coaching, when people are like, well, that's never going to happen. And I'm like, you don't know that. You don't know that the next, the minute we hang up this phone call, someone's not going to call you with the best opportunity. So when you set your mindset to that's never going to happen, kind of sending the energy in that direction. Why don't you set your mindset to why not? Why can't instead of the $20,000 opportunity, why can't it be a $200,000? And he, if all we're doing is getting our minds to start looking for those opportunities, I don't care why it happens. It just happens. But sure. when you start to see them and and just put that energy out there, then you, that's what you start seeing. And it exists for everybody. It's just a matter of if you're tapping into it or not. Well, this comes back to what you're talking about, which is energy and consciousness. And, you know, that you, you know, if you want to put some meat on the bone, you can go into the conversation of quantum physics and realizing that it's all just energy that we tap into. Yeah. Now, I mean, you didn't come out of the shoot this way. Have you, or maybe you did, you know, what was the study or what, how did it, this evolve in your thinking? How did, you know, you've got some coaching that puts you onto a different path, perhaps a different journey. When did you start tapping into the possibilities and understanding that your own self-talk and having these conversations and the negativity that might be in your space. When did that all start for you? I was at a rain meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for rain. Good for rain. <laughs> um, I was struggling. And I, I had recently won player uh, some awards. Yeah. And I was struggling from a, you know, I hit all this. And I'm not happy. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Right. Yeah. And a feeling that 
I had, you know, that the shoe was going to fall, that I had done all this work, but it seemed kind of too easy. And maybe I'm missing something and I just something around the corner is about to have the whole shoot fall apart. Sure. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe I need to hire a coach to help me go through my portfolio and and show me where this feeling is coming from. And if they can help me dissect so I can fix whatever the problem is. And I was reading, there was a coach that I thought I might want to speak and speak with, and he was busy. And so I waited in line for the copy and the gentleman behind me started talking to me. And I believe he actually uh, spoke at uh, maybe a time or two for Rain, Mikhail Merck. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was talking to to him in line, and he was telling me about what he does, or I was telling him what, he, what I did, and he was telling me about what he does. And I asked him, what did you do for a living? And I was just so intrigued with him, and there was an... Uh, I felt like there was something I could learn from him based on what he had shared with me. And I asked, so what do you do now? And because he had brought three companies public and I was just sort of in awe with him. And he's like, well, I'm a coach now. Like I do some coaching and with everyday folks. And then I work with the uh, fortune or the blue chip type, the huge companies as well with their C-suite. I just knew that I needed to work with this gentleman and so I'm ready. I'm ready to dive into the, my, our first lesson. I'm ready to dive into our first session, dive into business. And he wants to meditate. That's a good But I, he was the one that brought me into meditation and slowed me down so that I could get back to that space of being able to use my intuition because I start what it would have happened and as I st- started with him intuition and then I let my mind take over and started to let the mind bring fear in right and he sort of brought me back to that intuition and meditation and uh, it, it wasn't easy like he's like we tried to do meditation and he's like okay for you Let's just go walking meditation. So for years, all I did was walking meditation because I couldn't slow, like I wanted to, but I struggled to really slow down. And then I, he just put the love of it into me and I just took off from there after. And I've, I sort of felt like I stopped studying real estate investing and really dove into this world of intuition and meditation and and my business hasn't suffered. If anything, it's grown significantly more because I've I've combined the two worlds. I love that. And uh, well, thanks for sharing that story, by the way. And, you know, it really does speak to often people are looking for the answer outside of them. And, you know, in my own work that I share with as a coach is that you're the source and you need to tap into that. And it goes back to even where we started with the conversation a little bit about you know, mom that needs to look after herself because she is the center of the universe. We're all the centers of our universe and we do have to look after ourselves. And it really does mean doing the work. And and I'm, you know, whether that be meditation or exercise or walks or whatever that may be, we have to look after ourselves so that we can, you know, really create the lifestyle that we want to create, the businesses we want to create. So thanks for sharing that. It was really, really good. 
I never know where these podcasts are going to go, since I really don't. So I want to say that it's great to have this conversation with you. There's lots of insights. And as we start to wind down, because I've taken a lot of your time, we still have more work to do. And I want to ask you, I've got some rap, what I call rapid fire questions that I want to bounce off you. And, and they're never that rapid fire, to be honest with you, but I'll share that as well. So anyways, let's start with, give me a book or you know, that you recommend or one of the most impactful that you've read or one that you gift? Is there a book that really stands out for you in terms of your learning and your journey and something you, you know, and or books, maybe there's a couple of three that stand out for you, but is there one that kind of stand out for you? It's usually the book I'm reading at the time. <laughs> Got it. Um, um, I love this isn't one for the general population. Uh, it might not be into meditation or anything yet, but Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Love it. Just uh, helps people uh, get a better grip on those bad things that happen in the world are actually seeds to potential amazing stuff. He also wrote out uh, Ego is the Enemy, so... Well, once you start him, you're going to... Yeah, once you get hooked on Ryan, you're hooked on Ryan. So he's great. Ryan Alden. Yeah, so I, it's just the, the first one. I, yeah. I would recommend that one. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the typical real estate investing ones. Like, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, yes, 100%. But, it's all, but, but you know, something that's interesting about that book is, you know, I would say 90% of my guests, whether they're even involved in real estate or not, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was an instrumental part of their journey in business and often in real estate, but it really was an impactful book. I mean, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki, love him or hate him, he's done some amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. yeah, That's great. This one happens to be sitting on my desk. I like this one too. Uh, the Surrender Experiment. Oh, I don't know. Michael. Lay Singer. Yeah, um, Michael Singer. I, I like it because when I read... And I rem- I want to be entertained too, uh, educated and entertained. And it's kind of his story of how he followed intuition to some unbelievable stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think if you are not big into meditation or intuition yet, it's kind of a great way to get started because it's just a story of someone's life and, and how they did such a great job of, bringing that whole intuition piece into the world. And then if I was to add a third, I'd probably bring in the one I'm reading right now. I think the breakthrough something by Dr. John Demartini. Oh yeah, John, yeah, breakthrough experience, John Demartini. Yeah, the breakthrough experience. Uh, I just love how, again, there t- he he brings everything back to bring it back to neutral. Well, it's universal law that he collapses everything. So I, I love it. John Demartini, we, we, he was a coach of ours for many years, gosh, 25 years ago, 20 years ago. And uh, so John Demartini, is, I love his work, by the way. It's where I got on, started on my path of understanding quantum physics and, you know, collapsing all the bad news that we hear out there. Of course, when yeah. the world is John Demartini, there is, it's all there. It's always a yeah. balance, perfect balance. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, it's interesting, you know, Michael Singer, and I don't want to step over it, you know, that book, The Surrender Experiment, I want to say it was his first book, but the other book that he wrote was The Untethered Soul, and he's got a another new book out recently. Anyways, I'm a big Michael Singer fan, and uh, if you ever get a chance to listen to some of his interviews on podcasts, he's he's a great, great, so interesting as a guest interviewed, so love his stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you about G- John Martini. So the, the breakthrough experience is a really cool, I, I actually did the breakthrough experience, both Stephanie and I did it uh, back in Edmonton many years ago. And it was really a very, very cool experience. And here, that I think it's something I want to do next. But yeah, he just, he just channels stuff. Like, John is a cool cat. He's, uh, he's really out there by most people's standards, to your point. You know, if you're mainstream personal development, John might be a little bit too out there, but he's a cool cat. I really like John's stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite quote? Something that, you know, you can link to sometimes, Susan? Yeah, lots of them. I just can't think of anything. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's to mind. I'll give you a little bit. We can go back to it, you know. So um, do you have a favorite too? Or band? Band. Yeah. Yeah, music, band. Um, right now, I'm really genre into, music. <laughs> I'm really into like uh, I guess you would call it Euro or uh, English pop. Uh, oh yeah, James Arthur and Sheeran, uh, uh, McGregor. Uh, I don't. You know, when it comes to music for me, I don't have a real attachment. I know what I like, but I yeah. don't have particular i'm an old rock guy so i'll pick up on stuff like that but you know i hang out with music files so literally i could be in the middle of a conversation and they'll go hold it stop that's blah 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 and that's that's a great tune and i'm going i didn't even hear music in the background like that's so disconnected that you get music files and they're like everything is music to them they hear it everywhere you know it's very interesting so anyways i'm not so you have, I mean, you're into whatever genre you're into. It shows up. You like it. You know what it's mm-hmm. like. Okay, great. What about movie? Do you have a favorite movie? I don't watch a lot of TV. But <laughs> and I'm not good at remembering uh, movies. I often fall asleep during movies. But you know what? I d- did see them. It's not a, f- I don't know. I, no, I don't. Not really. No, that's fine. You know, usually when I'm talking to a parent, it's whatever their kid was happening to look yeah. at. You know, you could be, you know, whatever movie the kids are watching these days your room your desk or your car what do you clean first my room my desk or my car definitely my room the last is probably my desk uh, of course well that's a sign of a crazy mind having them you know <laughs> anyways i don't know where i was going with that there's some quote around that i think somewhere along the lines what was the next question oh if heaven exists okay what do you want to hear god say when you get to the gates the real stuff, or the real fun's just about to begin. <laughs> there you go. And Susan, oh, what are you grateful for today? Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I do every single day. I start my day with the gratitude list. So I, where do I begin? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, my three kids, the wealth I've created, uh, the knowledge I've been able to share with them, the friends that I have that have got helped me get to where I am today, the support I've had with my family. It usually comes down to relationships because that's where the best joy is and being able to um yeah. And ever asked how old are your children, by the way? Uh it starts at 18, 15, oh, just turned 16 yesterday and 13. Nice, nice beautiful. Well, there's lots to be grateful for in that regard. You know, there was a question like you, I often will take a moment to really reflect on gratitude and what I'm grateful for. And we sometimes, we when we get together with family, friends, whatever, 
while we sit down to eat at the end of a day or at a, we'll, we'll often ask the question, what was your win today and what are you grateful for? And that's always an interesting conversation to get something going. And on uh, a recent guest that I had on the podcast, Ray Ostrander, you know, I asked him the question, what are you grateful for? He came up with, he had one of the best answers that I've ever heard, even like I, and he just said, you know something, I'm just grateful for all the things I have to be grateful for. <laughs> and I went, that's such a great answer. <laughs> so I share it with you because really, isn't that the truth? You know, we have yeah. so much gratitude for all that we have to be grateful for. So Susan, oh, go ahead. You have something to say? I even make it a practice to say thank you for the things that are not going well in my life. It was something that I read in an Oprah Winfrey book, actually. It helps flip the mind into, okay, what blessings are going to come out of this? And how can I flip the switch on this so I don't get caught up in the negative of it? And it's just, it's been really helpful. That's such a great insight. And, you know, something that we can all be you know, reminded of and probably remind ourselves of is that in hindsight, when we look at all of the, you know, supposed bad things that have happened in our life, it's generally in hindsight that we go, man, was that ever good that that happened? It gave me that experience that made me stronger. It actually opened up the door to a whole different opportunity. And uh, so that's a really cool practice. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm going to actually fold it into uh, some of my own thought processes these days and uh, realize that there is always gratitude for the challenges that show up for us. We just need to make quit making them wrong and go what's in it behind it. So thanks for sharing that. That's a great one. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's really been a pleasure and I am immensely grateful for the time and the energy and what you shared here today. So uh, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.